0: Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. around the age of 12 my oldest sister's husband who at the time was 24 started to groom me and sexually abuse me he groomed me very well and during those years i was working on their farm in the school holidays so i was there Basically, most holidays. And unfortunately, he made it actually feel like a relationship, engaged me in most sexual activities you could imagine. And actually, I didn't even realise it was child sexual abuse to many years later. But I also knew it was wrong. And therefore, I didn't tell anybody for 27 years.
0: and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey my beautiful friends, it's Dawn and welcome back to the podcast. When I think about my guest on the podcast this week, I think of the word brave in the fullest sense of the word because childhood trauma can lead to what feels like a life sentence. It's true for so many survivors of childhood trauma that they're left with trying to piece their lives back together and live it just like everybody else with one big difference. They are holding secrets and shame that need to be so carefully contained That life can never really be just like everybody else. Diane grew up in the country on a farm and there were ponies and piano lessons. From the outside, it would seem somewhat idyllic. But at the age of 12, Diane's older sister's husband, her brother-in-law, began sexually abusing her. In this secret world... He made it out like this was an affair and it continued for four years. Diane was just a child and living in a family where you are encouraged to keep your feelings and needs quiet. She kept this secret for 27 years. She didn't tell a soul. She didn't ask for help. And she had to come face to face with her abuser at every family function. The abuse, shame and secrets changes who we are. It changes everything for us. Over 90% of child sexual abuse perpetrators are known to the child. It is not the man in the white van. It's much Closer to home than that. Please join me in hearing Diane's story. Diane, welcome to the podcast. We met way back when I first started my podcast and you were on your healing journey, and we have been following each other's progress ever since. You have become more and more open and vocal about your story over the past 12 months. You started an Instagram page a while back to share your healing journey, and you came to a decision that you were ready to share your story on this podcast. So going back to your childhood, you grew up on a farm. Can you tell us about what growing up on the farm was like? Yes sure and first of all just thank you for
1: having me on this podcast Dawn and you've been a great support over the last yeah, close to two years now of my healing journey so yes thank you very much for that. So yes growing up on the farm I was like the fourth child of children, so the youngest. There was basically about three years between each of us children and my oldest sister being 10 years older than me. And yeah, farm life was good. I loved the animals and being outside, working on the farm. I suppose our parents were busy because with four kids and the farm and, you know, other activities with the children and so on. I felt probably yes as the youngest child that I really probably only got my parents attention when I was either really good or really bad and I felt like I probably was in trouble a lot of my childhood and as a result in those days you know you got a good smack around the backside for being cheeky or speaking back or being naughty or whatever. Having said that we did get provided a lot of good opportunities as children from our parents like sport we played netball we had ponies we got to ride our ponies we got music lessons so I played the piano for a lot of years which I loved but I suppose looking back there was a lot of yeah uh, there was definitely a lot of love and care but not much emotional care and also they were of that generation where they were sort of quite set and had sort of old-fashioned values, I suppose, of the 70s sort of
0: time. Yeah, and so it's like that idyllic growing up on a farm, the ponies, all the the good things. I mean, getting music lessons, the, those things are... Are a beautiful part of a childhood, aren't they? And your parents are just super busy. Like four kids is crazy. (laughs) A farm is crazy. But I guess what you're saying is not a lot of emotional connection, or you sort of felt like you mainly got attention when you did something really good or bad, and there wasn't much in between.
1: Yeah, there was, you know, sort of those older values of that time. And it was said to us quite often, you know, children are to be seen and not heard, which, yeah, was very common things said to us. You had to respect your elders, anyone older than you. And, yeah, and don't speak back, you know, like when you're being told off or told something, you don't speak back, which I suppose was also interpreted as you know, don't speak up either if something's wrong. And looking back now, I sort of think, yeah, unfortunately a lot of those sort of older values and learnings just really made it easier for my sexual abuser to groom and abuse me, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it really was that, wasn't it? And days gone by, it really was, you need to be quiet. And that's what we were really told you know, you've got to be good, we love you when you're good and you get this sort of attention and connection. When you're bad, you know, then you're getting another kind of connection but it really was about you don't have a voice here. That's what so many of us as kids felt, wasn't it? Do you think that getting into trouble was almost like your way of connecting in with your parents?
1: Yeah, possibly. And and I suppose, yes, and getting their attention. And obviously, probably some things, bad things they sort of did on purpose, but then other things were just part of growing up, I suppose, but definitely got their attention. And yeah, definitely, I do have lots of memories of being in trouble. And I suppose I was sort of quite an outgoing child and sort of well, my view of myself is I probably was a bit cheeky and a bit smart and liked to push the boundaries a little bit as well.
0: That's the, dom- <laughs> the domain of the fourth child, right? <laughs> yes, that was my job. <laughs> yeah. So did you feel that you could show any kind of emotion? Were you allowed to cry or to sort of show how you felt? No. And,
1: yeah, that is something else I've sort of obviously been reflecting on the last few, few years so yeah basically there was no room for uh, certain emotions like crying it would be you know stop stop crying or else I'll give you something to cry about those sort of comments and actually when until only the last couple of years I really believed that like my ability to not cry was a superpower because I used to look at all these other women and other friends wives and they'd be like crying every other week or and i would be like I'd probably cry once a year if that and I was like you know that's my superpower like and then yeah again I've only come to realize more recently that yeah that's you know a coping mechanism probably of
0: my childhood and also of my childhood trauma it's really disconnecting from all emotion, isn't it? Yeah. What do you feel like happened to you by burying all of that emotion?
1: Well, I suppose yeah. Like with that and then I suppose with the abuse as well, that yeah, subconsciously I just put on this happy, smiley, you know, reasonably successful front of who I was and and just carried on through life to survive but yeah again until the last couple of years hadn't really started to look into that sort of part of me which
0: has been hard work along
1: with a lot of other work
0: (laughs) absolutely and it's really interesting a lot of kids you grow up you just don't feel connected in anywhere do you think you were really craving love as a child yeah, possibly,
1: and in the last couple of years, I've sort of learnt that, particularly with being groomed with sexual abuse, that the abuser actually looks at what you're lacking, and as a fourth child, yeah, maybe I was lacking a bit of love, but probably more so, yeah, attention, someone noticing me just for being me, yeah, those sort of things.
0: Yeah, And so when you were 12 years old, something happened that would change your life. Can you tell us about that time? Yeah, sure.
1: So yeah, around the age of 12, my oldest sister's husband, who at the time was 24, started to groom me and sexually abuse me. He groomed me very well. And during those years, I was working on their farm in the school holidays. So I was there basically most holidays. And unfortunately, he made it actually feel like a relationship, engaged me in most sexual activities you could imagine. And actually, I didn't even realize it was child sexual abuse to many years later. But I also knew it was wrong. And therefore, I didn't tell anybody for 27 years. And then I only told my husband after we'd been together for like 15 years. And luckily for me, he has been amazingly supportive in his own quiet way, yeah. And then it was in 2021, literally 40
0: years after the abuse began that I started telling more people. Yeah, so just going back to that time, it's an adult, right? So you're a child, you're 12. This is an adult and they are the one instigating this situation Do you feel like this is okay or is there a feeling that something's not right?
1: Yeah, well, yes, I obviously knew it wasn't right because I didn't tell anybody. But yeah, I suppose, yeah, going back to those, you know, being made to feel special, being made to feel more grown up, all those sort of things, yeah, definitely sort of is what was going on. And and as a result, you know, I f- I literally felt like it was an affair, basically. And so, you know, again, I've had to carry that 40 years of guilt along with all the usual terrible shame, blame, pain, but particularly towards my older sister, because, yeah, I literally felt like I had cheated on her as if, you know, I was an adult doing something with her husband, but. I have to keep reminding myself I was a child. I was 12 years old, and, yeah, it was in no way my fault.
0: Absolutely. And there's so much manipulation in that situation, isn't there, and so much secrecy that it must change the way that you interact with people throughout your life because because of that betrayal, really.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it has, like I said, brought a lot of, you know, shame and pain and self-blame and, and and guilt and so on. And basically spending my life where I feel, you know, like people were looking at me and judging me, those sort of feeling like I'm not really good enough, but all the while portraying on the outside that I've got it all together and life's great and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. And so how long did that continue for?
1: The abuse for about four years. So I know by about the age of 16, it, yeah, basically stopped and I don't really remember exactly how, just like I don't remember exactly how it started but there are specific events at certain ages that I can recall that gives me a timeline.
0: So yeah, about four years. Yeah. And, and throughout all of this time, nobody at all was aware of what was going on. No, no one,
1: no one at all. You know, I have always wondered whether my sister did know something or not, perhaps not at a conscious level but maybe a subconscious level but when I told her she was yeah in disbelief and and didn't appear to be aware of it
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it how these people who are grooming young young girls young boys how they do maintain that level of secrecy it always you know, it always blows me away when you sort of look back and say, well, how did they do that? You know, it's, it's, Mm. it's crazy because it's often, like you say, it's, it was at their own home. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, and like over the years
0: of last couple of
1: years, I've listened to probably thousands of podcasts and so on. And yeah, obviously a percentage of people, that are sexually abused are actually threatened and said you know if I you tell anyone I'll kill your mother and you and your siblings or whatever but a a good percentage that doesn't happen and, and I was in that percentage where yeah I don't recall any threats ever being made or anything like that it was just yeah obviously part of the grooming and the whole experience he he obviously knew yeah that somehow I wouldn't say
0: anything yeah and so this went on for four years what happened after that because obviously this is this is a very traumatizing event for a young girl how did you cope with that for the next period of your life sort of through those teen years yes well that
1: is one area I suppose that has perhaps brought me the greatest shame and like like people say, sometimes it's not even the actual abuse that is the most traumatic part. It's actually dealing with the effects of that for the following however many years till you seek help is the more traumatizing part. So yeah, that was definitely the case. So From 16 to 20, because of, I suppose, all my mixed up concept of, you know, love, relationships, how to get, you know, males attention, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, basically, I was quite promiscuous and growing up in a small town, everybody knows everybody and, you know, talks about all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, that just brought me masses of additional shame and it still actually hurts to this day and I just think if people knew why I was behaving like that then hopefully they wouldn't be so quick to judge but basically I can remember thinking all I want is just a regular boyfriend to have a relationship with to do general things with and may probably end up having a sexual relationship with but the way I was going about trying to do that and particularly from being sexualized at such a young age, yeah, it just brought me so much shame and pain and, and didn't bring me what I wanted, which was just a regular partner or boyfriend.
0: Yeah, because everything's been everything's been kind of stuffed up in your brain, hasn't it? Like you're Ooh you You've gone down this whole other path that you're not meant to go down. and so what you've been exposed to in your life up to that point is like so different to everybody else around you. Yeah. did you find yourself having to numb your emotions? Were you drinking? were you what were you doing? To yeah, get
1: through. Alcohol has definitely been my friend and and enemy, I suppose, but yeah, I've definitely used alcohol all my life, and yeah, exactly for that reason, a lot of times drinking in excess to, again, this is all in hindsight, (laughs) but numb the pain, and also I was given alcohol by my abuser quite at a young age, so I was getting drunk at like 14, and and yeah, so definitely a lot of alcohol. Yeah, moderate amount of drugs, nothing heavy, but, and yeah, luckily, luckily I didn't really have access to anything too heavy. Otherwise, who knows, I probably would have gone down that track as well. And yeah, probably just, you know, living my life like I wasn't suicidal or anything, but I also wasn't taking much care of myself, like, you know, living life a bit carelessly and dangerously and it was like well if I die I die like you know
0: yeah so be it yeah
1: so yeah no there was lots of and I mean drinking is yeah always been definitely what do you call it self-prescribed self-prescribed medication and and that was one of the reasons I yeah reached out for help again a couple of years ago to a psychologist because not just the drinking but yeah a lot of things were impacting my life physically and mentally
0: yeah and so when do you think those mental health issues started were they was it at that time as a teen do you think well yes probably and like I say
1: yeah probably literally have been self-medicating for a good 30 years and then about yeah just over 10 years ago oh no actually it was about yeah, 14 years ago I was having yeah like a lot of anxiety as well as some physical health problems so I actually spoke to my GP and she was actually the second person I'd ever told about the abuse and so yeah she was like she referred me to like West Casa which is center of sexual assault where you get you know half a dozen free counseling services and that was good I didn't really I suppose gel with the person but the good thing that did come out of that is she really really encouraged me to tell my husband so I did which was probably the worst and hardest thing I've ever done and again just because of that image you have of yourself without even knowing you have it I just thought he would be like, oh, wow. Even though we've been married for 15 years, I just really thought he would just be like, oh, my God, you're so dirty and damaged. And, yeah, I don't really want to be with you anymore. That's, that's how I felt. So, yeah, that was the first attempt to get some help. And then, again, in about two, about three years later, things were getting impacted even again in my work so I actually went and seen a psychiatrist and that wasn't totally successful either other than I got some actual prescribed medication (laughs) but which I'm still taking but yeah again didn't really gel with her so sort of kept taking the medication and tried to get back to living life.
0: Yeah and that's something that I guess we don't talk about a lot is actually finding the right person to talk to, isn't it? Because, you know, there's so many therapists out there, psychologists, and we really need to find that person that we, we just connect with in some way that we feel that's actually beneficial because otherwise I don't think it's really doing an awful lot. So you had a, a couple of different people that you you felt weren't like super helpful.
1: Mm. And then I suppose, yes, that sort of leads on to, I suppose, what I've been doing the last couple of years. So due to a lot of issues again, towards the end of 2020, my mental health and physical health was deteriorating. Drinking was increasing where I'd stay up to one or two in the morning, drinking during the week by myself, having to go to work the next day. And... Yeah, I was like, I think I really need to do so, try and do something about this yet again. So, yeah, I found a psychologist who was a trauma-informed psychologist. And I started seeing her. Yeah, it'll be coming up close to two years ago soon. And I was like, great. I feel, you know, good connection with her. This is going to be great. It'll be like or three months of weekly appointments then I'll go to like fortnightly for a month then monthly talk to her a couple of times a year and I'll be done this is so good well yeah two years on and I'm still seeing her weekly at a large financial cost but yeah I think it really has been a big part of helping me deal with all this old trauma stop a lot of physical and will not stop but improve a lot of physical and mental health issues and yeah and now it's got to the point where I'm really needing to speak up about this
0: yeah so what are the mental health issues is it depression
1: yeah so until the last couple of years it was just anxiety and again no one no one had any idea because you know I've spent my whole life putting on this face that's like all cool and calm and happy and no issues in my life and I actually even had a good friend say that to me but your life seems so perfect I'm like mm, no one's life is perfect oh so, yes so anxiety I've had diagnosed for a while good 10 years or more and then particularly last year when I really sort of hit rock bottom of my mental health and, and as part of working through all the trauma of my sexual abuse I yeah experienced depression which is not a nice place to be and then also as part of you know, the last couple of years I've also now officially been diagnosed with complex PTSD so yeah even just having to come to terms with having those diagnoses is is difficult in itself without all the other underlying issues of the actual what caused all
0: of those diagnoses. Yeah. How does complex PTSD play out in your life? Yeah, mainly
1: I had sort of a lot of yeah PTSD-type symptoms, which I wasn't even aware of. I do have visual flashbacks. I am triggered by certain people or names or a song, a song and then also through to nightmares like I, I, I've i always always had extremely graphic dreams and a lot of nightmares and I just thought I mean because like I say to people because I've never been anyone else you think that you're just experiencing this life and think well that's normal that's that's how life is but Yeah, then you start to learn a bit more about these different things and realize that not everyone lives lives in fear or you know lives with all these triggers and 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 then having to manage them
0: again a lot through alcohol and a few drugs and so on it's interesting isn't it because we all are just living our own life and whatever we've been through is our normal and you know, it can take a lot of years before we get to a point where we have any idea that what we've been through is is so different or so wrong. So at what point in your life do you think you understood how wrong it was, what happened to you?
1: Probably going into my 20s, I suppose. Yeah, like I say, because it was quite a few years where I just yeah didn't even recognize it as child sexual abuse. More I was like, oh, it was like an affair. Like you know, adults sometimes do that. The husband or wife will hook up with another partner outside of their relationship or marriage. And and I was like, oh, you know, that's basically what it was. But but then it's like, no, you were twelve years old you were a child there are laws against that for a very good reason because your brain isn't developed enough to be able to you know enter into a relationship a sexual relationship at that age your brain or your body or any part of you so yeah it was probably sort of into my 20s that I sort of realized but then again my best coping mechanism was just to totally lock it in a little box in the very very back of my mind keep up the front keep up the face the happy face and and just you know use a few things to get me through the bad days yeah and
0: it's really holding that secret for so many years isn't it do you think that's what makes you sick in the end it's just you're like you say you're holding it in such a tight little box and it's it's like you're terrified that this box is going to open and then you're going to have to deal with it
1: yeah and
0: yeah I think it was really a lot of
1: and again I think this is a common sort of theme I don't think I was even so worried about having to deal with it I was more worried if it come out what people would think of me as a person because I yeah as I'm only still just learning very recently I still have a very low opinion of myself which I didn't even realize that even a couple of weeks ago that got sort of slammed home to me again but yeah that was probably what kept me silent for so long like the shame and the worry about what people would think the effect it would have on the family and that's sort of another thing like you spend all your life worrying about everyone else scanning every situation making sure everyone else is happy every time I had seen my family my abuser was there so I had to you know go along to lunch or an event or whatever and and you know put on that face and smile and like everything's okay whereas inwardly I actually had these physical sensations of literally wanting to vomit so yes definitely holding in such a terrible secret and for such a long time it's always in the end going to come out some way whether it be physically or mentally or in my case probably you know
0: both really yeah and of course that's that's another thing isn't it where a lot of people might be abused by someone they never see again and of course you're it's almost like you would be getting re-traumatized every time there's an a family event. Yeah. That's that's a, a lot to deal with, isn't it, throughout because it that's never ending.
1: Yeah. And and so I don't know if we mentioned or people can probably tell from my maybe accent, that I'm from New Zealand originally. So and where we all lived in New Zealand was all within 20 minutes of each other. So we were seeing family you know all the time and then it was just coming up to 20 years ago that we moved to Australia and and yeah like someone said to me recently oh was that why you moved to Australia and I said it wasn't why but it was probably again subconsciously a good part of it Mm. and just to get that distance not have to see them but then of course when I went home every you know year or so, six months or a year to see family. It was always like, oh, Diane's coming home. It's like, let's have a massive lunch, like Christmas dinner, and everything will be laid on and everyone's excited to see me. And I was excited to see everyone except for that one person. But there was no way I I couldn't say, well, I don't want him to be there or like, you know, how are you going to explain that away? So again, just had to go along, put on the face, play happy families, where internally, yeah, it's just eating, eating your stomach and
0: heart and everything else
1: yeah. out, really.
0: And it, it probably just gets harder and harder, right? Probably in the early days, you're not really in tune with, with, with the whole thing. And then, yeah. you know, years later, you just, it would just be such. Oh, it'd just be such a hard thing to do. And you've talked a lot about shame. And does the shame, is that really like just a guilt because of feeling like in some way this must have been your fault?
1: Yeah, probably, yes. And particularly because, like I've said, it was made out to me to be more like an affair that. It's like I didn't stop it. I didn't say no. I didn't go running to people saying what's happening. So it must have been part of my fault. But the interesting point about that is obviously it is never, ever a child's fault. And second of all, because my parents were, like I said, a bit more sort of what we'd call these days old-fashioned, I actually said to my Very supportive sister that's next in age to me. One day I said to her, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened. And before I even got my sentence finished, my sentence was like, I wonder what would have happened if I'd actually told mum. And before I even got the sentence finished, she goes, she would have never believed you. She would have told you off for being a naughty child, making up stories, and yeah just never ever believed you just because I mean there was no sort of awareness of the topic as well at that time which which is why yeah it's been allowed to go on for so long and that's why I want to speak up because we just need to make people aware and parents aware and teachers and everybody that it's happening and it's not it's not the man in the white van yes that does happen probably one time out of a hundred that and that gets on the news or the you know publicity there's been a child taken from the street and sexually abused but that's a tiny percent it's you know something like 90 percent of child sexual abusers are family or very close family members or friends
0: yeah and that's it's such a horrible statistic isn't it Mm. and I think that's why every parent needs to be in a position in a relationship with their kids where their kids can come and talk to them about anything if you can't do anything else for your kids you know allow them to be in a a relationship with you where they feel safe to come and talk because if you feel that your parents and when you're at the age of 12 it's either It's really only your parents or possibly a teacher, but, I mean, not many of us feel comfortable enough to go and talk to most teachers. Yeah, It is going to be our parents, and so it's really about making sure that your kids will come and tell you because it's the best chance you've got of protecting them, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to leave Diane's story there for this week and we will return next week with part two of Diane's story where Diane will share about what led her to finally speak her truth about the past and the ramifications of that disclosure within her family and friends. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at mybigloveproject and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods,